Loving and heavenly Father, your purity is unimaginable. Your love is unfathomable. When we look at the sunrise and the sunset each day through the smoky haze, we're reminded that you spoke creation into existence. You have a plan for each one of us, a plan not to harm, a plan to prosper us. We come before you this morning to seek your face. You alone are worthy of praise. We gather this morning to praise your name, O Most High God. You have created us for your pleasure and desire that we live our lives for you. We are unworthy. We have not lived according to the ways in our thoughts. We have sought to do things our own way and leave you out of the picture. We have used words as weapons to win arguments and put others down. And our deeds have harmed others, both by our actions and inactions. None of these things are hidden from you, and we plead forgiveness for the mess we've made of our week. Thank you for sending Jesus that through his obedience, we can have full forgiveness of all our sin. We plead for the homeless, the hungry, the afflicted. Help the church here and worldwide to be your hands and feet in serving the needy. Especially at this time, we pray for the perpetrators of slavery, that you will convict them of their sin, that they may turn to you and protect the victims rather than exploit them. Today we pray for our fireys and emergency services as they try to protect people's lives and property. Please, Father, bring an end to this catastrophic condition, we pray. We thank you for the rain that you have brought to those in need. We plead for rain to repair the land that will, that will break the drought and keep us from famine. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the obedience of your servants that have proclaimed your word around the world. Especially we pray for Pastor Luke and the Thai mission team. Keep them from harm. Open doors for the gospel wherever they go. We bring before you Matthew, Linnell, Alison, James, Chris, Rebecca, Ian and Sean. We seek your protection for each one. Bind this team through unity in the spirit. Be also with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Barnatatan Church. We pray for the Rileys as well, Heavenly Father, and ask that you bring special um, encouragement from their contact with the team. We ask all of these things, Heavenly Father, because you are able and in and through the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read from Romans or the whole chapter of Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been made right 
in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how God dearly loves us, or how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness, for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant, became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
Well, thank you, Jenny. Many of you uh, may learn absolutely nothing from my message this morning. Um, but my, and that's, that's because what I'm going to speak on is something you're mostly very familiar with. But it's my singular hope um, is that God is going to work in all of us this morning um, to, to understand our restoration before God. Um, it is, if you like, a revision sermon. Now, normally if I was in a classroom and I said, we're going to do revision today, kids, there would be groans and moans. So I'm pleased to hear at the start there's nothing like that. How do we react when we meet someone for the first time? One thinker, Malcolm Gladwell, in his book Thin Slicing, says that we make a judgment about whether we like or dislike a person within three seconds of meeting them. Based on very limited amounts of information, we form an opinion about that person. I want you to imagine that I'm going to introduce you to two people. From the limited information, I want you to be able to form a view whether you like them or not. And you, to play along with the game, you just have to make a choice. I like or dislike. There's no middle ground here. Now, Mustafa was a young boy who came from a seafaring family. He regularly went with his family uh, and his father who transported refugees from one country to another. These refugees were willing to pay a high price for the chance of a safe new life. And Mustafa's family preyed on their, dis uh, their desperation. They charged these people with their life savings, put them on very old boats and set out for, for the new country. Mustafa's family grew wealthy and soon he was running his own leaky boats as an adult. He was ruthless and he would send anyone who was prepared to pay in any old leaky wooden boat. In fact, he didn't care if the boat, its cargo or its crew got to its destination. He became wealthy, a wealthy man, by exploiting other people's suffering. He just didn't care. He grew arrogant. He was violent. He spoke in foul language to anyone he chose. He was responsible for sending many innocent lives to their death. How do you react to this character, Mustafa? Thumbs up if you think he's okay. Thumbs down if you think he's not so okay. Good, playing along well. <laughs> yes, his callous indifference to others suffering is immediately obvious and we may feel justified in our anger against such people. We know that this kind of behaviour is happening today all over the world and today we use the euphemistic phrase people trafficking to describe it. And it's estimated internationally there's between 20 and 40 million people in slavery today. 20 to 40 is a big range, but it's because we can't get accurate numbers on it because so much of it is hidden. Human trafficking earns a global profit of 150, not million, billion dollars a year. 99 billion of that is the result of commercial sexual exploitation. Ooh. 
Person two, a young man who grew up till he was seven under his mother's watchful eye. He was a, his, she was a devout Christian and prayed regularly for her son, Josh. He was also a sea, from a seafaring family who entered the family business under his father's guidance. He too was taught by crude and callous example to exploit the weak. Josh graduated to people trafficking on a grand scale, taking over, over, up to 250 people desperate per boat. Who would have who would he would have who would have dra who would be dra um, dragged against their wills to locations not of their choosing? His wealth and power resulted in drunken and violent behaviour that even his fellow sailors, who were known for their wild conduct, thought was going too far. He'd even plotted to murder the ship's captain. Eventually, he became a captain of a large people trafficking ship and travelled the globe selling shiploads of human misery to a global market. He became a respecter of no one. How do you react to Josh? Thumbs up, thumbs down. It's pretty easy, isn't it? Playing along nicely. However, the Roman emperors at the Colosseum would ask the crowd to decide the fate of a slave in the games by a thumbs up, thumbs down. The thumbs up, they lived. Thumbs down, they were sliced and diced. Thin slicing indeed. This is how thin slicing works. We sit in judgment of others based on a limited amount of information about them. Fortunately for us, God sees all the slices of our lives, the whole picture from beginning to end. Well, Mustafa is my fictional account of the current refugee trade. He represents the modern face of slavery. And by now, many of you have realised that Josh's life is based on the real life of slave trader John Newton. And as you know, there are many more slices to John Newton's story, aren't there? There, there, there is much more to it than just the very beginning. Let's explore some more. John Newton, after many years of profiting from slave trade, was almost shipwrecked in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when he cried out to God on the 21st of March 1948 to save him from the storm that had raged for days. He had been tethered to the helm of the ship for 11 hours, wrestling with the ship and the seas to keep his course. In the midst of his fears and distress, he called out to God to save him. Pretty rich, don't you think, when we consider his treatment of the slaves that were under his care. God's response was almost immediate. And he's calmed the storm. As the damaged sailing ship limped into the Irish harbour, Newton committed his life to following the Jesus his mother had introduced him to all those years ago. He, however, continued to operate a slave ship for some time after, but soon, convicted by the Holy Spirit, he gave it away. From that day forward, he strove to learn about or learned more about Jesus and his saving grace, becoming a minister in a small Anglican church. Ooh. 
At Olney, some years later, it took him a long time to actually get into the, the Anglican church. No church would have him. Who would have somebody? This is an indictment in some ways on the Christian church who was more worried about their, their integrity and how it would appear to other people when they included him. He was left out in the cold for many years and only for his persistence that eventually he found a, a place in the Anglican church. He, was, he evangelised the parish with passion. That's the pulpit from which um, this man preached Sunday in, Sunday out. Um, where is it in that church now? It's sitting up the back and it's full of rub. Well, I don't, can't guarantee it to, if you went there right this minute it was like that, but that's what it was like the day we visited it. It had a bunch of old books. Uh, they weren't selling them for 50 cents either. Well, 20, actually. The inflation's ever-present, isn't it, Carol? OK, so, so the thing about Newton is that he's composing of songs each week with his neighbour, William Cowper, who was a, a, a renowned poet. The poet to be sung in the worship as an adjunct to the, the sermon each Sunday. Imagine that, a new song to learn every week. Norm really would have his hands full on, in that situation, wouldn't he? The most memorable hymn was Amazing Grace, composed in this uh, room, a short walk from the church. Amazing Grace was first performed in the only, only church in New Year's Day service in 1773. This hymn speaks to all our stages of life, no matter where your life is currently headed, it has a word of encouragement to you. For our unbelieving stage, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. Even if you have led an awful life, blinded by the world, and can't even understand God and Jesus, this grace is for you, no matter how wretched your condition. For our conversion to faith, t'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It's the free gift of grace that initiates our faith and relieves rather than removes fears, and it's a precious thing. For the changes of the Christian life, oh, sorry, for the challenges of Christian life, through many dangers, toils and snares we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, for and grace will lead us home. Our lives as Christians can be dogged by all kinds of dangers and difficulties, but God has preserved our lives. He leads us all to a point to where we can decide to follow him. When we commit our lives to him, he will surely accompany us through our entire life. For the blessings of a Christian life, 
We are offered, the Lord has promised good for me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. God's word confirms his love and his strength. It's extended to us so we can endure our entire lives in his care. Now, for the end of earthly life, he offers us, Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease. I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. For many of us, our mortality is ever apparent. As our bodies fail, we're encouraged by the thought that we have the hope of eternal life, of joy and peace, aren't we? For the end of this world is also upon us. The earth shall dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to, sn- to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. When we're inclined to trust in this world, know that it too will one day pass away. But don't be fearful because of grace, the grace that, can sh- that we can know a secure future that does not pass away. And in that secure future, we have an encouragement for eternal life. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Oh, the sweet release we will experience when we are forever with God singing his praises. We will not count the hours. We will be overjoyed that the opportunity comes to praise God and that opportunity never ends. I'm a very ordinary singer, as many of you can confirm, so I find this a bit of a stretch to consider the idea of singing. But God can do anything, can't he? There are three scriptures that are claimed to have informed the theology of uh, amazing grace. Proverbs 1, 24 to 31. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention, when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in, in turn will laugh When disaster strikes you, I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. Woo. We can obviously identify how John Newton may have uh, come to to value that, that reflection because it describes the life before he was a Christian. 
The question often arises is how can I believe in a God who does not show himself or does not behave in the way I want him to? These verses from the Old Testament book of Proverbs remind us that God has given people the word of God and they pay no attention to it. When we are offered advice through the prophets, they disregarded him. When corrected by God for their sin, they ignored him. This could describe any period of human history, including our society now, couldn't it? We wonder why the fires and droughts ravage our nation. We wonder why climate change is occurring. Bob Dylan has a word for this. In the 1980s song, Licence to Kill, he depicts the human greed. Man thinks because he rules the earth, he can do with it as he please. And if things don't change soon, he will. Oh, man has invented his doom. First step was touching the moon. Now, a little bit later in the song, now he worships at an altar of a stagnant pool. And when he sees his reflection, he's fulfilled. Oh, man is opposed to fair play. He wants it all and he wants it his way. You see, God is God, not a servant to be manipulated. When we decide to live outside his design for our lives, then of course there are going to be consequences, aren't there? John Newton knew that he had deserved God's wrath because he lived in opposition to God for many years. He didn't blame God for the storm. He didn't shake his fist and say, well, he may have, but it's not recorded anywhere that he did. He accepted that he was to blame. He He was convicted that his lifestyle deserved this calamity sent by God. What is remarkable is the heartfelt response of John to the threat to his life. I'm wretched. Please save me, Lord. Are we as individuals opposed to God's fair play? And do we want it all our own way? The wisdom of Proverbs reminds us it's easy to accept, easier to accept God's yoke than to go it alone and try to have it all our own way. We access, we access this unmerited favour by God's grace. 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 Luke 11, 13 says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is Jesus speaking after teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer. God wants to answer the seeker's prayer of, If you're really there, God, reveal yourself to me. The Holy Spirit is the means by which Jesus' presence is made known to the believer. It's not a matter of deductive reasoning or thinking that we are able to arrive at a place of faith. Sometimes it's a cry for help in a storm like that of John, that like, like that God's... Uh, sorry, I'll start that again. Sometimes it's a cry for help in the storms. If life like, um, chooses to... If, God chooses to act that way in your life. John Newton realised that the Holy Spirit was a free gift he received even in the midst of his sin. He grabbed onto it like a life preserver thrown to the drowning man. He did not prove himself to be good enough 
before God intervened. Like the Apostle Paul, who had persecuted Jesus' followers and had had many people killed, God supernaturally intervened to bring him spiritual sight at the same time as restoring his physical sight. While he was still in the middle of his sin, again it's grace, grace, grace. Chronicles 1, 1 Chronicles 17, 16 to 17, is David's prayer. And it's, it's the magnitude of a king who has the humility to understand he's nothing. And he says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted men of men. King David is amazed at God's reaching out to elevate him when he knows he doesn't deserve it. John Newton knew he was a perpetrator of evil and deserved no good from the creator God whom he railed against for most of his life. I was amazed that God had extended grace to me when I became a Christian. I knew in the deepest reaches of my heart that I was undeserved of such grace. I was a wretch. Nothing had I I done that deserved my salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know The Lord God has looked on you as though you were the most exalted of men and women on the planet. If not, then pray for his intervention in your life. He wants to extend you grace, grace, grace. When was the last time you were amazed at something? Not just mildly surprised... Amazing, as used by John Newton, was a cause for, for great surprise and astonishment. It's this amazement, it's this word amaze, it was only a 200-year-old word when, when John Newton used it. it it's an, a word of astonishment. It's mind-blowing in probably more contemporary language, probably the 1960s is mind-blowing. I don't know what your 2000s version of mind-blowing is, but it, it, was, it just did his head in. If you have not yet felt God's amazing grace, but eagerly desire it, then you need not hunt for it. It will find us when we seek him and confess our unworthiness. Maybe you're in the lowest, uh, toughest time right now, like John Newton was. God has an answer. It's the unmerited, gracious gift of forgiveness. The Billy Graham website says that grace is the unmerited favour of God towards mankind. The word grace appears 170 times in the New Testament. Grace is not bought, it's a free gift of the almighty God to a needy mankind. When I picture Jesus Christ dying on the cross, I see the free gift of God's grace in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. 
his death, his resurrection. The Apostle Paul had something to say about the free gift in 2 Corinthians 12 that remind us to be cautious about thinking that we are owed anything by God. Therefore, in order to keep him from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a message of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that, that Christ's power will, may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I, then I am strong. John Newton will forever be remembered for one hymn. Of the 250 that he wrote, a hymn that reflected every person's need and hope for restoration with God. Amazing Grace is one of the most sung songs in human history. It's been recorded 7,000 times by different individuals. And believe it or not, the estimate is that it is sung and performed about 10 million times a year. Whether you go to church or not, it is almost certain that you've heard that, that song at some point in your life. When we stopped the tape of John Newton's life earlier, we could, have justified in, we could be justified in concluding that nothing good could ever come of such a life. But as we discover, God had other plans, as he does for you and me. John contributed to the fight that stopped uh, English slavery, working with William Wilberforce and the, uh, the MP, who accomplished it, I think, shortly after jo John died. The right, right to the end of his life, he worked to serve God and to redress his past wrongs to slaves. He always remembered that he'd been saved by God and recognised his true estate before a righteous and a holy God. He was at the same time aware of his sin and rejoicing in his undeserved salvation. Newton lingered uh, until four days before Christmas 1807. He quipped, packed and sealed and waiting for the post. He, as he died at 82 years of old, he whispered to a friend, Those words, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. Fortunately for you and me, God doesn't simply give us thumbs up or down according to what we have been doing, what we are doing or what we're going to do. He planned that even the vilest of people can be redeemed when they turn to Jesus and submit their wills to him. He restores our souls with nothing but amazing grace. There is, however, no telling how long any of us has to accept that gift of grace. Don't leave that gift unwrapped this Christmas. Let me finish 
with the last line that John Newton concluded that sermon back in New Year's Day 1773, the day at which Amazing Grace was released in the world. The last thing he says, we are spared thus far, but some, I fear, are strangers to the promises. You, are entered in, you have entered in upon a new year. It may be your last. You are at present barren trees in a vineyard. Oh, fear lest the sentence should go forth. Cut it down. We are now going to sing that hymn. And um, when we sing this hymn, we're going to sing it unaccompanied, although we're going to need a little bit of help from Norm to get us on a note. And... Um, <clears throat>